not working. Well, oh, there, there it goes. Okay, we are on the record. Okay, no, no, no more of that talk. No more. No. <laughs> Mike's gonna be watching us. He's gonna be wondering what we've been talking about for the last uh, nineteen minutes. <laughs> I'll be very curious now. <laughs> okay, well, someone will fill him in. Who took notes? Hint, hint East LA. East LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, we're on the second half of chapter thirty-eight, page bottom of page four forty-one. And we're talking about balancing action with intention, with kavana. Action is the bottom line of everything. It really is the culmination. It's really the purpose of everything. It's really the center of Judaism. The center of Judaism is our behavior. Now, that's not the definition of Judaism, which means if somebody doesn't behave like a Jew, they're still Jewish. Um, yesterday, it was yesterday, I went to Enterprise. This is an incredible story. Um, Rabbi Fuss in Fremont was putting together a big Hanukkah event. Um, an in-person, uh, uh, an in-car concert. What's it called? The drive-through concert. That couldn't have been yesterday. No. no, he was putting it together on Hanukkah. Huh. And at the venue, he needed a stage for the performers. And the venue said, you can't have a stage. He says, I need a stage. What do you mean? <laughs> they're in cars. They're, gonna, they're not going to be able to see the performers. So they said, you're going to have to spend a ton of money. You're going to need a ton of permits and you need to get approved. And so he said, okay, I'm not going to use a stage. Forget it. He goes to Enterprise and he rents a flatbed truck. <laughs> And that was their stage. Got a big flatbed truck. It was beautiful, a beautiful event. But he called, he, I, I ran into him actually. He says, Josh, I went to Enterprise in Pleasanton and the guy behind the counter is Jewish. I asked him, are you Jewish? He says, no, I'm not Jewish, but my mother's Jewish. So I told him he's Jewish. He doesn't even know he's Jewish. I went to visit him yesterday. Nice guy. He just moved about a year and a half ago. He works at Enterprise in Pleasanton. And I said, so you're Jewish, you're right? He says, well, my mom is, but I never really practiced. So I'm not really Jewish. I said, of course you are. I says, what do you mean? Well, Judaism isn't defined by how you practice. It's expressed in your practice. So you haven't been expressing your Judaism, but you are Jewish. But in order for Judaism to actually be expressed, action is necessary. We said that an action... And, and that's really what brings Mashiach. Because that's really what brings God's presence into this physical world. In order to do that, though, in a meaningful way, it has to be balanced with kavana, with intention. In other words, if I do a deed, a Jewish observance, a mitzvah, and I don't care about it, I don't have any intention, any kavana, I do it mindlessly, I'm still doing what I should have done. I did the right thing. Right. Um, somebody once was there was a fellow who was quite charitable. And he went to the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, and he says, I'm giving charity, but I don't feel like I have the right intentions. And I'm feeling that I really should cut down because I'm being disingenuous. And he so the Alter Rebbe told him, you might be disingenuous. Is that the right word? You might be disingenuous in your giving of charity but the recipients are quite genuine when they receive it. <laughs> They're receiving it genuinely, so don't worry about it. 
that main thing is action. So where does passion come in? Where does intention come in? It needs to, because we, we need to have a little bit of soul. We need to have meaning as well. It's not defined by the meaning. In other words, if I have good intentions, but don't do the deed, it's meaningless. If I have good deeds, but no intention, it's meaningful, but it's not as meaningful were we to actually care because God doesn't just want us to do the mitzvahs. He wants us to care. That's what kavana is. That's where we discussed last week. Um, Kavana, intention, puts soul into the observance, which is like the body. Now, just to, to regroup here, what is kavana? What does intention mean? What is the right intention to have when doing a mitzvah? What are we supposed to be um, thinking? Any thoughts? So I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit because this was okay. actually explained in, in um, Hayom Yom today. Okay, good. So Let's hear it. I'm going to really cheat because I'm just going to open the book. Is it is, uh, what, Eighth of Tavis? So it said, um, I thought that's where I saw it. Maybe it was somewhere else. Um, well, anyway, I, maybe I saw it somewhere else, but it, it said, like, if, if you're davening, so somebody who doesn't understand the words of the prayers or, or the meaning of the prayers should just have one thought in mind, which is, um, so Hashem understands all prayer. So you, you can just think, you're thinking all, and it, it used the term Kabbalistic to have all the Kabbalistic thoughts in mind that you're supposed right. to have in mind as, as you're davening. Right, right. So in, often when we use the term Kavana, we, we, um, we refer to Kabbalistic um, understanding. In other words, Kavana means I understand the spiritual um, plumbing, if you will, <laughs> and wiring that I'm tapping into. But over here, kavana means something a little bit more basic than that. Take a look on the bottom of 441. And, and John, what you're saying is correct. That's what kavana often refers to. And that's going to be the nuance of this particular section in Tanya, that, that kavana means actually it's taking a step back. What does kavana mean? Oh, and, and just, the the bottom. just real quick, because uh, yeah. I realized when I read it today, it, sometimes it refers to the Hayomium of another day. Hayomium. So okay. it referred to 11 Ardar. And so this is exactly what it says. It says, when a Jew starts to pray and thinks in his heart, master of the universe, may my prayer be considered as if I had in mind all of the mystical concepts of Ka Ka Kabbalah. That is certainly enough for God hears everyone's prayers. Right, right. Okay, perfect. And what is the ultimate intention that Kabbalah is trying to get us to, to connect to God. In other words, take, take a look on the bottom of 441, all the way to the last paragraph. Kavana, intention here, means that the person is generally attentive, that these mitzvahs, that these mitzvah acts are being carried out to reach himself to God through fulfilling God's will. 
the intention when doing a mitzvah is that when I do this distinct act, I'm connecting to God's will. I'm connecting to God. Since God and his will are one. God and his will are one. So when I fulfill his will, I actually connect to him. Kavana means I'm doing this to connect to God. Now, why does that connect me to God? Because God wants it, right? Why does buying your spouse flowers connect you to your spouse? Because your spouse wants flowers. That's the only reason. There's nothing valuable about flowers in themselves. Um, flowers are nice, don't get me wrong. But think about it this way. If I were to connect my spouse the way I would want, I wouldn't buy her flowers. I would buy her Diet Coke, right? We all know that. <laughs> but what would happen if I come home with a six pack of Diet Coke? I would end up drinking them all. It wouldn't benefit her. Not what she wants. The intention of a mitzvah is I'm doing what God wants because it's going to connect me to him. It's going to connect me to him because he wants it. It's a, it's a profound way of viewing a mitzvah. Because again, we, we, we've, we've gone over this theme in the past, but it, it's reoccurring throughout Tanya. The essence of a mitzvah is not just a tradition. It's not just a nostalgic feeling. It's not just um, a sentimental resemblance of heritage. It's literally what God wants. It's literally connecting to God. That, so God, in the beginning of the book, it says that God wants us to connect to our souls and he wants us to grow our souls and he wants us to be part of, um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, in, I don't know. That's what I heard in my head. I don't know if he really said that. <laughs> but, well, but they're, it, they're one and the same because the way you connect to your soul, your soul is a piece of him. Yeah, and everybody's a piece of the soul, is, I mean, of God as well. So you have to connect to everybody. Exactly, exactly. And, and connecting to the mitzvahs will actually give us that sensitivity or should give us that sensitive, uh, sensitivity to connect to others. Um, actually, later on in Tanya, in chapter 46, he references how our relationship with God is, is actually compared to a marriage. King Solomon in his book, Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, one of the 24 books of the Tanakh of the Bible, it's all describing the marital relationship that we have with God. And a mitzvah is that deed of marriage that actually connects us. At a Jewish wedding, the bride and groom stand under the chuppah, under the wedding canopy. And what does the groom say to the bride? He hands her the ring and says, in Hebrew, at, behold, you are mikudeshet li. Behold, you are betrothed to me. You are being married to me. You are mikudeshet, you are kadosh. The word kadosh, holy, means separated designated for me, right? A marriage in Hebrew is called Kiddushin, holiness. Um, or actually, 
separateness because you're separated from any other people and designated just for each other. We also use that same term with a mitzvah. When we say a blessing on a mitzvah, we say, Asher Kiddishanu, God has sanctified us, the mitzvotav. The same term as betrothing, which is kiddushin, God is kiddushin, sanctifying us. Essentially, a mitzvah is God betrothing us and embracing us. Betrothing, betrothing, betrothing. I don't know. Um, either way, with that mitzvah, betrothing, okay. With a mitzvah, God is betrothing us. And that's why we say, Asher Kiddushanu. He has done Kiddushin to us, the act of betrothing to us. And this is why we say blessings, by the way, before mitzvahs. The purpose of a blessing, the goal of a blessing before a mitzvah is to orient ourselves to have the proper kavanah, to have the proper intention. So before lighting the Shabbat candles, we say, Asher Kiddushanu, he has sanctified us, the mitzvotav with his mitzvah, and has commanded us to light the candles. So we're just orienting ourselves and reminding ourselves, this is God's will. And anytime we do a mitzvah, we say a blessing to remind ourselves, this is God's will, so we can have the proper kavanah, the proper intention. Essentially, and, and this is true, by the way, with mitzvahs, this is true with Torah study, this is true with prayer, this is true anytime we're engaging in our relationship with God. The thought that comes in our mind beforehand is, this is going to connect me to God. And if it's going to connect me to God, it's going to connect the world to God. So just to, to, to put everything into summation, when we do a mitzvah, we connect our bodies with God, ourselves with God. When we have kavana, when we have the proper intention, we connect our mind and heart to God. So when we do a mitzvah with kavana, we have this holistic, all-encompassing connection to God. Just like a marriage. When a person, right, a marriage, the healthiest of marriages is when there isn't just physical, physical intimacy, but emotional and intellectual intimacy, where you're aligned on every level, where you're connected spiritually and emotionally, not just physically. Although, right, just like a mitzvah, though the bottom line is the action, but the spiritual connection is what makes it more meaningful. Now, why is a spiritual connection more meaningful? It's more meaningful to us, right? In other words, what God wants is get the deed done. Put on that tefillin, light the Shabbat candles, give the tzedakah, learn that, study that Torah portion, or whatever it may be, right? There's 613 examples plus. God wants the deed done. And if we get the deed done and we want to get the deed done, it's meaningful to us, right? But it's more than that. When it's meaningful to us, a.k.a. kavana. I'm using the word meaningful and kavana interchangeably. When it's meaningful to us, it ends up being meaningful to God as well. In other words, kavana has not just a subjective value where it's meaningful to us. It has an objective value that it's meaningful to God. Take a look on the bottom of 442. 
Um, the, the last bold paragraph on the page, second to last paragraph. But it's not that the actual attachment of thought and the human mind to God through Kavana is in its own right higher than the connection through the practical mitzvahs, as will explain, be explained immediately below. In other words, Kavana is not independently greater than an action, right? Rather, I'm going to read on 443, the third paragraph, first bold paragraph. Rather, it's because connecting your mind and thoughts through Kavana in the practical commandment is also the will of God, as is Kavana during the Shema prayer and all other blessings. In other words, God wants us to do the mitzvah, and part of his will, his description, and I want you to do the mitzvah, is that I want you to, to actually have kavana. God wants us to do the mitzvah. God wants us to care about it as well, not just to do it mindlessly, but to have that kavana, that intention that we're connecting. Make sense? Kavana, in other words, not just meaningful to us. It's meaningful to God. So I have a question. If, yeah. if you do the mitzvahs, but you 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 want to get kavana and you take too long to do them and you can't do, is it worth doing less and having quality or doing all and then not ever getting to the point where you actually have, where, where you, it's actually part of you, where you, um, you've got kavana. Right, where it's internalized. That's an excellent question. That's because an excellent question. Yeah. I thought That's your answer was going to be yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay, so the bottom line, like we were learning in our earlier chapters, is what brings God's presence to this world is the action, is the deed. But it's got no kavana. And if you don't have time to get kavana, then you need to make a point of getting it. I'll, I'll put it this way. The, the, the bottom line, though, is if you have kavana, but don't do the deed. No, do the deed with kavana, but do less deeds to make it more meaningful. Like someone who's slower, who doesn't have the capacity to learn, and then they do their bar mitzvah, but they do everything they do with kavana. Or is it that they just learn everything and take longer to learn it and just do it? Right. With, okay. Because I, good question. Okay, good question. I would say it, it's going to depend on what it is, to be honest. But I would say it would probably be better to do things meaningfully with Kavana. So you'd rather spend more time to get them to do it and do less and make sure that they do it right. Yeah, depending on what it is, but yeah. Like a bar mitzvah for a kid who's got a learning difficulty and who's struggling. Yeah, I, I would say, I would say um, Kavana would, and, and making it meaningful would be, would be um, of importance. Now, the bar mitzvah, performance, if you will, is not necessarily an obligation. But lighting Shabbos candles are an obligation. And it doesn't, um, yeah, like, right? Yeah, yeah. But putting on tefillin for men, right? It's an obligation. It's not just, so, so I, you know, I met a fellow once, very spiritual individual. He was an Israeli fellow. I met him in Florida. Very spiritual. He was not an observant Jew at that point but such a spiritually in tune person with himself, with others. He was very good at, he understood people on a very deep level. I, I always thought if this guy grew up in an observant household, he would be a big Kabbalist. <laughs> he had that type of, uh, he was a very spiritual person. 
And he used to hang out at the yeshiva with us. He was probably in his 50s at the time, maybe late. Yeah, probably in his 50s at the time. And I said, we were sitting around. I said, hey, let's put on tefillin together. I have my tefillin right here. Let's do it. He says, no, I can't because I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Right? At that point, he made it. And I don't, I say this non-judgmentally. I say this purely academically. I don't judge him. But it was at that point about his kavana, not about what God wants. Because God wants us to serve him and he wants us to do it with kavana. But if our lack of kavana is going to stop us from getting the deed done, then the kavana ends up not being about God, it ends up being about us. We can't make it about us. Ideally, we want the best of both worlds, right? Ideally, we want it to be about God and we want to be engaged so it becomes meaningful to us. But if given a choice, and often we're going to be faced with that choice, do I make it about God or do I make it about me? The purpose in this world is to make it about God, to bring God to this world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Ideally, prayer should be done slowly. It should be done with kavana. And there's certain parts where, you know what, skip this part so you could focus on doing it more intentionally. But there's times where you're going to be very short on time. And you only have a couple of minutes. So now I have to decide, do I make it about me? Do I make it about God? And that's a tough decision. It's a tough decision to make. But we have to think back to not just what is meaningful, but what is our purpose. Ideally, we want our purpose to be meaningful. But meaning is not going to automatically be purposeful. Purpose should be made meaningful. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I, I don't know if I've answered your question or kind of just beat around the bush. But, but, you, <laughs> but okay, you know, be ideal if we could get a, a prescribed list of per, like things so we don't have to think. <laughs> to, yeah, to, so that we can start just looking for meaning in that thing, those things, you know? Right, right. Look, prayer is one of the hardest areas, you know, to, to really focus during, stay focused during prayer is, is difficult. It's very difficult. But I'll tell you a great insight. You may have heard this from me before. Um, it says in the Torah, God wants to build the tabernacle, the home for God, right? The Holy of Holies where he's going to rest, his resting place called the Mishkan, which ultimately had its permanent residence in Jerusalem, the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. And God wanted this resting place to be contributed by everybody. The entire Jewish nation should contribute toward making a resting place for God, a home for God. And God says, tells Moses, tell the Jewish people, take a donation from each person. Each person should donate toward building a home to God. The Magid of Mezrich, the Magid of Mezrich was, a, was the um, teacher of the author of the Tanya, and he was a student of the Baal Shem Tov, just to put things into historical context. The Magid of Mezrich said, wait a minute, why don't we translate the verse more literally? 
take from me a donation to build my home, right? It doesn't say from each person. So if you read it literally, from the whole person, from all of the person. In other words, when we're donating to God, building a home for him, we have to give the entire person, our entire selves. In other words, God doesn't just want our behavior. He wants our feelings. He wants us not just behaviorally engaged. He wants us to be emotionally engaged. Because that's his will. He wants us not just to do the deed. He wants us to want to do the deed. Now God is really dwelling in this world because he's dwelling not just in our behavior, but in our thoughts and in our feelings. That's a much deeper level of intimacy. So, so we, the bottom line, we can't underestimate the importance of Kavana. On the other hand, we can't let Kavana get in the way because it's it, meaning is so important, but meaning is not what defines Judaism. Because if it's defined by what's meaningful, it's essentially, you know, what, I, what if I find bowling meaningful instead of going to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah? So I'll make bowl Hashanah, right? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> the meaning has to complement the observance but it can't replace it. So it's such a tough balance. It really is. It really is a tough balance. Maybe it's like eating food without salt or with salt. The food is the food will sustain you just as much if with no salt, but if you put salt on it, it's so much more enjoyable. Right, <laughs> right. And, and that's the bottom line. God wants it to be enjoyable. He wants his relationship with us to be enjoyable by us. Otherwise, he's imposing. It's awkward. Right? God doesn't want to be God doesn't want to impose. He wants to be invited. Now, if he's not invited, we have to sometimes we have to allow him to impose. We have to just do it, do what we gotta do. Okay, we got one more piece of this chapter, but any, any questions, thoughts, comments? We're good, huh? Okay, let's take a look on page 445. And 445, Hester. yeah, question. Oh, it's on 445. What is Hester Panim? Hester Panim means God hiding his face. I thought I'd seen it before, so that's like right. what we hear about him for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. God is essentially um, wearing a mask, right? Very timely these days. <laughs> God essentially hides himself from us. And the mitzvah brings his presence down here. But the kavana v'mitzvah is what brings his presence in a more revealed and meaningful way. And on page 445, he explains that there are four levels of existence. And the two bottom levels of existence correspond to the body, to observance. The higher levels of existence correspond to different levels of soul, different levels of kavanah. I'm going to share on the screen here a chart. Um, hold on. Okay, you can see my screen here, right? Hold on. 
No, man. Okay, I got all my. It's going to take a second to scroll down. Hold on. My phone had to reload. Sorry about that. You're able to see the screen, though, right? Yes. Okay. This is all our. our remember those handout sheets we used to have? Yeah. <laughs> And the mall saves. I'm just scrolling down to the bottom. Now we can have an epileptic for trying to read. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will wait for the end. <laughs> I was like, okay. So these are the green sheets. There we go. Okay. The sheets. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, hold on. There we go. Well Okay, I'm sorry about this. Our this technical, I'm technically challenged, so. Um, Josh, so this is all for this class? No, 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 no. It's okay. one sheet that I gotta go to the bottom. Oh. <laughs> These are the sheets for There all we go. Time. That's it. Okay, we have a little chart here just to make things easier. There are four classes of existence discussed throughout Jewish literature, Kabbalah, and other places. There's inanimate objects, stones, dirt, there is vegetation. That's number two on the list. Um, I really started, should have listed these top to bottom, I mean, bottom to top or whatever. There's vegetation, plant life. And that's a little bit uh, considered to be a higher existence because it, it actually has more life to it, right? A carrot has more life to it than, a, has more life than a stone does. And therefore it grows, has more How soul. Vegetation, do a verbal mitzvah. So, okay, we'll explain that in one second. The, the good question, <laughs> the, uh, right, a veg, you have to be a vegetable, no. Um, number three is animal life. Animal life has more life to it than a vegetable does. Um, and that's why it doesn't just grow, it actually has function to it and has instincts and feelings. And then there's human life who has and intelligence, the, right? The most the profound intelligence that can actually, uh, we can actually think independently. We can actually speak. We can communicate clearly. So in this chapter, he explains that levels one and two, inanimate objects and vegetation, correspond to mitzvahs, to the performance of mitzvahs. And there's two types of performance. There is the action performance. That's like inanimate objects, right? An action mitzvah has a level of inanimacy to it because there's not really, um, other than you doing the action, there's not much there. The vegetation corresponds to verbal mitzvahs, a little bit more spirituality to it, right? Make sense? We're both, we're with me here, we're on the arc? Yep. Okay. So levels one and two, inanimate objects and vegetation correspond to two types of performances, action performances and verbal performances. Levels three and four, and this is important, correspond to the two types of kavana. Animal life is a lower level of kavana and animals have more life to it than a vegetable or an animate item does and therefore it's considered to be more the spiritual side of Judaism, the Kavana. And there's two types of Kavana. There's intuitive Kavana and there's intellectual Kavana. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go back to the, um, 
Let me go back to the what's it called? Oh, here it is. Hold on. Okay. Memorize that chart for a second. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Take a look on the bottom of 445. Um, right above the line where it says note, we're going to skip the note. And he says, uh, the second to last line, the degree of elimination in the mitzvahs is also divided into four levels. Two in the mitzvah act and two in the kavana. For the body of the mitzvahs themselves, top of 446, above the line, which are corresponding to the category of inactive objects, inanimate objects, the purely practical mitzvahs, which involve physical objects, and number two, corresponding to the plant kingdom, the mitzvahs observed through the combination of speech and thought. So that's number one. That, th those are the two levels of action, pure deed, dry deed on its own is like inanimate objects, spiritual deed, which is thinking and speaking, correspond to vegetation. There's a little bit of spirituality, a little bit of growth there. Okay. Second paragraph on 447. The kavana of mitzvahs to connect to God, though, is like the soul, which is like the soul of the mitzvah when compared to the mitzvah act, its body. This kavana is also subdivided into two levels, corresponding to the two types of soul found in physical bodies, namely the souls found in animals and in humans. And there's two levels of kavana. And throughout the subsequent chapters, we're rounding toward the the culmination of 38. The subsequent chapters will go into more detail on how to achieve this kavana. But there's two levels of kavana, of course, the higher level of kavana, which is what he actually starts off with, corresponding to human life, is an intellectual kavana, which basically means I develop a, an appreciation, um, a passion for God and his observances with my mind, which basically means with my understanding of Judaism. The better I understand my Judaism, the better I can connect with my Judaism on an intellectual level, the more I study about it, the more I think about it, the more kavana I can have, the more I'm going to emotionally connect. Sometimes we don't connect to our Judaism very well just because we don't understand it fully. And studying about it more and learning more, connecting intellectually, and meditating is going to prove to be very beneficial in developing Kavana. That's the higher level of Kavana, and that's very difficult. This was the focus of the way beginning of Tanya, where we spoke about the power of the mind in controlling the heart. But then there's a lower level of Kavana, which is not as lofty as human life. It's more like animal life. And we'll, we'll talk about why it's called like animal life soon, but it's more of an intuitive kavana. And he talks about this on 448 um, and 449. This intuitive kavana is not using our mind to appreciate Judaism and feel passionate about it. It's just tapping into an appreciation that's kind of instilled within us. We referred to this earlier in chapters 18, 19 as the dormant love. Who remembers the dormant love discussion? right? We gave the analogy of that flame. That flame is always flickering, wanting to connect. And if we tap into our dormant love, so now I'm connected to God. I'm feeling a passion for God, not because I appreciate him, 
but it's just because it's a part of me. I appreciate Judaism, not just because I, I find it meaningful and I understand it, but because it's just ingrained within me. It's just who I am. Um, it has its benefits of stability because it's always there, but it's not as strong because you didn't work to get it. Um, is it we've inherited. Can we link it to someone who's grown up Jewish and who's just got it ingrained in them, everything they do? Or, uh, and, or to someone who's actually um, thought about it, did it, reevaluated, kept it and found meaning in it and intellectualized it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's actually a very nice comparison. I think that's a very good comparison. But I, do, I would add, though, that yeah. even the person who didn't grow up with it and is appreciating it from an intellectual per, uh, perspective could still connect to it intuitively. But, but if they if they reevaluate, look at it in, from a higher source and study and make it more purposeful, then it becomes intellectual. Right. So even a person who's been just doing it their whole life, trying to find meaning behind it, they can make it more purposeful than making it intellectual and making it right. on a higher Exactly. And, and these are just different ways of connecting. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, this guy that I met at Enterprise yesterday, um, we put on tefillin, actually, for the very first time. He didn't even know what tefillin was. He's a man who I would estimate, in, I'm so bad at guessing ages, but I would guess he's somewhere between 30, uh, I, I would say young 30s, if I had to guess. His first time putting on tefillin, he's never heard of tefillin. Didn't know what it was. Never heard of the Shema prayer, never. He lit his Hanukkah menorah. That was probably the extent of his Jewish connection. Um, he never had a bar mitzvah even, let alone without tefillin. He never had a bar mitzvah, nothing. I said, buddy, this is your bar mitzvah. I got to show you the picture afterwards. I'll show you the picture we took together. <laughs> it's all in the picture. We put on tefillin for the first time. He says the blessings. He says the Shema. And I said, take a moment and talk to God from your own heart. He closes his eyes. And takes a minute. And he says, whoa. That felt right. That felt really right. There's nothing rational about that. He's never learned about what tefillin was. And the mechanics, the spiritual mechanics of how tefillin is going to activate a spiritual connection and how this is God's. It wasn't like that. There was nothing rational about it. It was just intuitive. And this is somebody who didn't grow up with it. So I, I would say it would fall theoretically on this lower level. Maybe you could argue that it's a higher level. In some, in some respects, it is a higher level. Well, but, if he doesn't and he learns about it, intellectualizes it and studies, then it's a higher right. level. Right. Exactly. 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 And these are just two different levels of love, two different levels of passion, different levels of kavana, of meaning. And you're going to see throughout the next chapters, by the way, we're going to use the term kavana, meaning, love, passion. We're going to use these terms interchangeably. And I'm going to be doing that intentionally because I think it will bring the concepts, um, it'll make the concepts a little bit more uh, relatable. But just to, to sum up, there's two types of observances. There is action observance, which is like an inanimate object. There is um, verbal 
an intellectual observance such as prayer and Torah study, which is like a vegetable, like it's veg vegetation, sorry. There is animal life. That's the lower level of love, lower level of passion, the lower level of kavana. That is intuitive, not intellectually developed, but just more natural, which we spoke about in chapters 18 and 19 of Tanya, basically up until chapter 25. And then there's the highest, most profound level of love, intellectually developed, um, rationally developed, which we spoke about in the earlier parts of Tanya. Um, now, when we say it's higher, it's higher in, in contextually in, 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 in terms of how hard you worked to get it and how meaningful it is. But in some regards, the intuitive level actually be more, more uh, has more is, value to it in many ways. Is this all for doing mitzvot or for love? Because if it's for mitzvot, then if you think about the mitzvah, but you don't do it, it could be on the vegetative level. Yeah, because for sure, for sure. And now then this, this is all assuming you're doing the mitzvah. It's how you do it. that is going to, yeah, how you're going to do that mitzvah. The kavana that you're going to have, there's different levels of kavana. Okay. okay. Make sense? Yeah. And by the way, this is the same in every, this is true in interpersonal relationships as well. Um, we do acts of service for one another. Do I appreciate the person? Am I doing it mindlessly? Do I have an intuitive connection? Is, you know, there's times where you think about what, how uh, you, the, the, the value that a person has, the characteristics that a person has that you may appreciate and you, and, you, and you do acts of service for them. And then there's times where you just feel an intuitive connection and you do acts of service for them. And it's the same with mitzvahs. Those are the two types of kavana, which we'll elaborate more on in, in the upcoming chapters. For now, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Thank you.